What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, I look back at a wild night, not in sports, but in politics from a betting perspective. How it felt a lot like watching a crazy Sunday night football game. Then we'll look at the board in the NFL this week. What are the first thoughts about all the matchups? And are there any bets to make now and any we'll target for later? Plus, Maction. Maction? Maction. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell, and we had a doozy of a night, didn't we, last night? A historic night in the election. And listen, I'm not going to harp on it too, too much here, uh, because for one, this is a sports show, but it's also a betting show, right? It's a sports betting show. And, you know, as much as politically the goings-on were interesting. They were even potentially more interesting from just a purely betting perspective. We talked on Tuesday with Ted Ballantyne, had a fun conversation, hopefully as apolitically as possible, strictly talking betting, different values, that kind of thing. And, you know, there'll be some mixed results from our bets there, right? We won some bets on Trump. We won some bets on Biden. We'll probably win a few more here on Biden, it seems like, based on where the live betting, which is still going on, (laughs) in-play betting, is still available, not just for the big picture, but also from a state-by-state type of basis. Uh, You know, I'm not going to sit here and and recommend you plays like, okay, like, you know, you know, blah, blah, blah is the favorite in this state, like, you should ride that out. At this point, it does sort of seem, though, that if you're willing to lay some dollars with the favorite, and I'm talking about whether we're, you know, into Georgia, whether we're talking about North Carolina with Trump, or whether we're with Pennsylvania, I mean, that one seems to be a little bit dicier. You could even make the case that that might still go to the live betting underdog at this point. All in all, you know, at this point, it does feel a little more political than it does betting if you're going to kind of go for that, right? And so, you know, you have to understand, like, we're talking about this from strictly a betting standpoint, and no race has ever been or felt like more like a sporting event (laughs) from a betting perspective than it did last night. And listen, I was around, like, one of my first elections that I really cared about that I was really, really interested in was the 2000 election. And, of course, that was a complete gong show. But I didn't have it through the lens of betting markets. And for me, one of the things, like, you have to do if you're going to follow along, and it doesn't matter what party you're going for, what network you're watching, whether it's Fox, whether it's CNN, whether it's MSNBC, whether it's CBC in Canada. don't know why people in Canada watch Canadian networks for their U.S. election coverage. A little bit strange. Uh, but, you know, no matter what you're looking at, like, I feel like you have to have the live betting odds open, even if you don't intend to make a bet at all, right? Because no one's going to tell you who's going to win. No one's going to tell you who the favorite is at 8 o'clock, 8.30, 12.15. They're not going to tell you that. It's ridiculous that they don't. And sort of one of my main complaints is at some point, somebody's going to pipe up and be even like, even if they don't reference a particular website or a particular sports book, 
somebody's got to say, like, right now, it's Trump at about 86%, which is what we were looking at last night when we got to a point where he was in minus 600, almost minus 700 type of a favorite. And so when it comes to betting on this, you know, we all have to acknowledge that Biden was made the favorite beforehand. And that wasn't my decision. I didn't decide that he was the favorite. I, you know, but we had months and months and months of information that would sort of lead us to believe that he would be the favorite. And so you kind of go from there. And unfortunately, it's not a sports match where you can just throw the ball on, on the field and see what happens and you get upsets or whatever. You know, the polling, as sort of sketchy as that sort of feels over the last couple of uh, elections here, you know, that still exists, right? All of the analysis that people who are far smarter than I am, in theory, um, all of those people are putting together some really legitimate information. And so I have to go with what, they, what they're sort of saying with regards to making someone a favorite. And at that point, you go, okay, well, what's the best number I can kind of get? And if you listen to the show on Tuesday, you know that we didn't even have a bet on who wins the election, right? We sort of talked about a lean and like where there might be some value and all of that kind of thing. We just, we didn't. The only thing that I said was my dis, you know, de definitive bet was Biden to win the popular vote, which had nothing to do with who was going to win. It was just the surest shot. And when a bunch of different, you know, sites were offering at minus 1,000, minus 800, I was fine with taking minus 500. Then I sort of, you know, made a point on Twitter saying that, you know, I found this bet, which was, you know, Biden to win the popular vote with between 48 and 51 percent of the vote. And, you know, that looks like that's going to cash. But that was actually sort of an underdog price because people seem to think that he was going to win by more than that, right? So in a way, sure, that's not necessarily a bet on Trump. I mean, it could have been framed, right, as a bet on Trump because I easily could have just gone to the Trump side and said, okay, well, if 48 to 51 for Biden, well, that must mean, okay, between you know, 49 and down to 46, like for Trump. And like that it could have been framed that way, right? And so... Um, effectively, you know, that was going against the spread, if you will, right? Because sort of the the point spread for the popular vote was like a 53 and a half type of a thing, right? So essentially, you're betting on the underdog Trump in that spot. And that, that looks like it's going to pay off. And so from a pregame standpoint, right, we didn't have that much because these markets have been pounded into for six months now, right? Like the time to bet on Biden before the election was back in the summer when it was essentially minus 110 on either side, right? But again, we're busy doing sports and we just kind of showed up and we're only going to throw, you know, a couple of bucks here and there on this and that. And so we're not that worried about missing out on the best of the number. We're just trying to get the best of the number out of the four books that we have at our disposal. And so all of these pregame numbers, right? State by state, they're all, they all come through as the favorite, right? Like there's a couple of spots where maybe a small underdog is going to win. Um, in theory, Trump, it was a, you know, you could call him a slight underdog in that like he was minus 105 on in one spot. Uh, and, and Biden was minus 115, but you know, that's not really an underdog. Um, we'll see sort of how Pennsylvania shapes up as to whether you can sort of call any of these underdogs. So there's not really anything from an underdog standpoint that 
you know, if anything was an underdog, it probably got bet right down, right? So uh, you're just not going to get, a, a, you know, very far before the game, if you will. In this case, uh, before the election. And then, of course, the live betting happens. And it's just completely out of control. And it sh was shaping up to look exactly like last time, where everybody thought Hillary was going to win. She doesn't, and the odds start to flip, and they flip quickly, and it just starts to literally landslide towards Trump, and he ends up winning, and you're just sort of going like, what the hell happened there? Uh, everybody made Clinton the favorite, and it felt like the same thing was happening. Everybody made Biden the favorite, not a huge favorite necessarily, but a favorite nonetheless, and then it just starts going towards Trump. And in this case, you know, I'm making the case here, like, it's over. Like, this is the exact same that happened last time. You have to trust the betting market. I'm talking about like Pinnacle as like a really sharp website that offers pretty big limits. So large amounts of money are <laughs> taking shape here and going towards Trump. And so who knows what certain people may have lost consistently betting Trump in that moment. Maybe they came back on Biden at the high point of like plus 400 and sort of got out of it, right? Like that's a case by case basis, I have no idea. But that's sort of the fascination of the live betting element and sort of watching this all play out when you're watching the networks and they're sort of feeling like they're the last to know. Now in this case, because things turned around in such a way, they actually sort of dodged a bullet from kind of some embarrassment there where you're like, man, have somebody from a betting market or has any idea about probabilities based on the odds, you know, come in and sort of talk about this. And that just wasn't the case. And fortunately, we did get deep enough with regards to the numbers where you could start to feel based on the analysis of, you know, these high density population, you know, um, cities. And it's like, okay, is it, crazy to think that plus 400 is a pretty good bet right now and then it's you know slowly starts to drop actually relatively quickly starts to drop and it gets to like a plus 200 and it was sat around plus 200 for a really long while and then i just tweeted out i'm like listen for one i don't know how long it's going to take to get the money out and for even some of these other bets whether it's popular vote whether it's this that or whatever i don't know how long it's going to take to get paid because this thing could be protracted for quite a bit of time, which sucks, right? If it we go into this, we're making bets and we're going, okay, like worst case, maybe we get the you know the money by Wednesday morning, right? Like it gets it gets decided sort of that quickly, sort of in a more traditional fashion. Well, it doesn't seem to be the case, and so I would have hit the plus two twenty right there, but I was like, I don't know how long this is going to take, and you know, I grabbed some Biden live when it had gotten down pretty close to Pickham. Got it once at Pickham, once at minus 138. And I was like, well, that's kind of enough for me, especially like I'm not gonna lose a ton of money on an election that's not even in my country, right? Like I don't care that much about it to just blow my bankroll on something like that, right? Like what's the most money I was going to put on a third time going through for Biden? And again, maybe you're sitting there going like, what, you know, this liberal jerk, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I just bet on Biden because he was the favorite going in and nothing that happened throughout that night really changed anything, right? But the trick to all of this, and it's funny, like in this pandemic year, so many things pop up where I go, well, I'll know for next time, 
I know for next time there's a pandemic, whether it's stock market stuff, right? The, the, the stocks that benefit from the pandemic, if you will, right? Did that stock market a couple of shows back in April about the stock market because we had nothing else to talk about. Um, but also sports, right? Like the bubble and the idea that like, oh, there's going to be some wild results. And it's like, no, pretty much all the favorites won anyway in the bubble because everything was a neutral site and the cream rose to the top. We had some upsets, et cetera, et cetera. But okay, I'll know for next time. Well, I'll know for next time when there's a pandemic and people are voting early in absolute droves, I will know to pre-scout the way these each individual states handle it, right? And so, again, it ceases to be about any sort of political leanings. It's no different than handicapping a game, right? And going like, okay, this team plays well in the first quarter and then is going to sort of peter off at the end. It's knowing that in Texas, they're going to do all the early ballots first and there's going to be, what do they call it? A blue mirage, right? News to me. First I've heard of the term, uh, a blue mirage. And so that's going to make you think, and that's going to drop the odds down to Texas. And if I could do it over again, I would go, I would just wait until it drops Texas's odds to like, you know, like a minus 300. And then I would hit Texas, right? We now know for next time, if for whatever reason, there's a ton of early voting, we now know we can take advantage of the live market overreacting to the Democrats sort of being in the mix for Texas. Next time we can know that nothing that happens essentially at all on election night in Pennsylvania matters at all because they've just decided we're going to take our sweet time with this. We'll get, let you know by Friday, whereas everybody else is getting finished up, you know, that night or at least the following day, right? Same sort of deal with Wisconsin and Michigan and what a sort of tease. And that's the thing for the Trump side, whereas, you know, we're so used to having these elections be done and sort of judged by 60% of the vote coming in state by state, right? Like it's why people don't vote because they watch this every four years and they go, well, I didn't even count my vote yet. Like, why would I vote next time? Like if you're going to just call it, right? Like people don't you know, really understand the, the math, but that's the sort of thing that really bothers people. And I totally get it. And in this case, it's like, well, because you have two discernible blocks here where early voting is going to go for Biden and the late voting is going to go for Trump. And sometimes we do the early stuff first. And in some cases, we do the early stuff last. And unfortunately for the Trump group, they just happen to do in the three most important states. They happen to do the early stuff last. And so, of course, that's going to make you think that you're winning, right? And I've heard the comparison, like, just because you're winning in the fifth inning doesn't mean you're going to win the game. Lord knows we just went through a baseball playoff, so I'm pretty sure we were winning in every fifth inning and lost all of the games. But, you know, like, I, I get why it'd be like, man, I thought I won. Like, every other election, this is how that goes. But in pandemic times, that's just not how it works. So, again, we'll be ready for next time, right? Somebody mention this to me because I will forget four years from now. Uh, who knows if you know we're going to be still doing this much early voting and how this is all going to go. But um, really sort of interesting, again, from a strictly sporting standpoint, right? It's like instead of exchanging possessions in a basketball game or in a football game, they just said, okay, the Chiefs are going to have eight possessions here. They're going to score a certain amount of points. And then it's up to the Panthers to score that many points on their next eight possessions. And wouldn't that be an insane way to play a football game, right? Where you just said, okay, Chiefs, go to it. 
right? Same thing, right, with baseball. Hey, you get 27 outs, see how many runs you can get. Then the next team gets 27 outs, see how many runs you can get. Like, that's kind of the way that this is being played. And again, fascinating from a sporting perspective. Obviously, huge odds swing live, far more interesting than, again, oh, this team, this state, this whatever, this party is going to take this state as an underdog. It was like there were no real live underdogs. And instead, it was just, okay, the favorite in this case, and pick whatever football favorite you like that's a minus 200 this weekend, right? Pretty sure Tennessee is a minus 200 favorite, right? What if they go down two touchdowns at halftime to the Bears this weekend? Like, yeah, they're going to end up being a plus 400, 450, even 500 potential, uh, you know, bet in the second half. And it was the same thing. It was like if, you know, the Democrats, Biden, got up to it, you know, or was down two touchdowns, but got the kickoff to start the second half. Like, go ahead. Can you come back and win? Like that type of thing. So, again, the sporting comparisons were massive last night, and it was you know, fun maybe isn't the right word, but incredibly interesting. Um, and for those of us super into like the numbers and the analytics, like I'm sitting there going like, just chill out. You don't need to grab a pen and paper and try to math out, you know, the projections of the Allegheny County and how that's going to like, just don't even bet on Pennsylvania. And I didn't, I didn't bet on Pennsylvania. And so, you know, fundamentally, I don't really care what happens with Pennsylvania and the odds right this second, I'm pretty sure are the exact same odds that they were before all of this started, right? Like it's obviously shifted and gone crazy um, to both sides, but now it's literally right back to where it started from. So I could easily bet on Pennsylvania if I felt like I needed a sweat. But again, I don't know that they're going to decide even just specifically Pennsylvania for a couple of weeks. So why would I put this money into work when I'm not going to have it for football this weekend, for example, right? And so, you know, but the numbers person in me is like, man, this is actually really fascinating. Again, it doesn't really matter whether it's Trump behind or Biden behind or whatever. It's just really interesting. Um, from a bet review standpoint, right? Like fun stuff that we talked about with Ted the other day, um, the state's you know, all of the sort of long shots that we tried didn't go our way, right? We had Ohio Democrat plus 213, so let's give that a whirl. Michigan for the Republicans, right? Again, felt for a second like we were going to win that, didn't end up or doesn't seem like it's going to end up working out. We talked about, you know, Florida, using Florida as a replacement for the point spread, if you will, right? We had a 309 and a half, which now sort of looking back seems insane to think that Biden was going to get 310. And like we talked about with Ted, the only way to get there was with Florida, right? So we, were, we found a better bet than just using that point spread that was giving us extra value. So again, completely devoid of politicism, it's just entirely a value-based thing, right? North Carolina, the only real toss-up that goes Trump's way. And you'd think that would sort of give him a leg up and certainly feels like it did, but that just might not be the case. Talked about Texas, the way that we would do that differently. The Biden popular vote thing, right? Like that looks like that's going to cash. The Biden popular vote between 49 and 52, so essentially 51.999%. Like that looks like that's going to cash. So you know, fundamentally, I, and then of course I bet Biden 270 to 299 at plus 600, right? Like that's not a bet because I'm sure Joe Biden's going to win or that I even want Joe Biden to win necessarily. It's just purely, if you're going to give me something that is minus 183 beforehand and you're giving me a pretty large swath 
of the points, right? If you're betting on a football team that is, you know, a four and a half point favorite, and you're telling me that I'm going to get plus 600 if they win by anywhere from one to like six points, I'm going to take that, right? Like that's just never going to be the number in a football game, right? And we're taking all of this again from a football standpoint. And so, you know, some of these are, you know, those are going to cash. And so now that we sit here and it's all done, yes, I'm cheering for Biden. Is that a political thing? You know, not necessarily. It's strictly how we ended up here with regards to the wagers. I would have loved to, at say 9.30, be holding a Trump plus 200 or, you know, plus 175 type ticket, right? Like there'd be incredible value in that at that time. And I would have been able to do some real work in cashing no matter what, right? Because you obviously bet Biden on the other side and you end up walking away with money no matter what, right? So again, all of these are just fundamental betting principles in what was, you know, obviously a really exciting night, if you will, for people down south. Again, Canadian, didn't have a vote, right? Wasn't involved. So um, best as I can do, like anything else, right? A lot of us are sort of frustrated athletes. The best we can do to kind of be involved in some of these games, once we realize that just being a quote-unquote fan of the game doesn't really get you anywhere in any of these sports, you know, we're all sitting here betting these games because we want a skin in the game. And so I had a couple of different ones, right? I'm cheering against Biden right now to, and I'm hoping Trump gets Georgia because that's a ticket that's going to cash for me. So um, all in all, wild scene, um, other such sort of things that were going on last night. Um, I get a kick out of the broadcast as a former television guy, um, the MSNBC, you know, watching that sort of fundamentally and them coming, you know, interrupting for these calls on these states that are not remotely surprising. It's like, oh, we're going to, you know, we got to call, we got to call Vermont for Biden. It's like, that could probably wait. We don't need to do this right this second. But it's this built-in thing that the producers, if they're bored by the conversation that's happening on the desk, they can just go, all right, enough is enough, right? They don't have to jump in and be like, boring conversation, change the subject. They can just throw in a Vermont call and that just breaks everything up and then they can do something else. And that something else, most of the time, and this is kind of the most enjoyable part for me, is when they go to the screen, right? Who doesn't love the touch screen at this point? It's getting more and more involved over the last 20 years and it's just super fun. And I've got two screens going, I've got CNN on one and MSNBC on the other. And... John Wolf is on CNN and everybody loves John Wolf. They're like, look at this guy. He's just a pro, right? Like buttoned up the suits all, you know, you know, tight. And, and he's, you know, going through it and hammering through it. And there's just sort of no, you know, frivolity to the entire thing. And then you flip over to MSNBC and our boy, Steve Bernanke is out here. And like, he was never even wearing a suit. He was just, he got in there and was already like sleeves rolled up, just glasses, having a point, push those up the entire time. Like there's a pen and he's making notes and it's like you've got a giant screen in front of you why do you necessarily need a pen and a paper but he's just all over the place they've got the Bernanke Bernanke can't I didn't even, I'm even saying his name right Bernanke Bernanke doesn't really matter um I'll never it'll be four years before I watch the man again and you know, and you're just watching this guy, and I was like, man, this guy's energy is off the rails right now. Anything's possible. Sometimes he doesn't even know he's on camera, even though there's a literal cam named after him. And they're throwing it to him. He's like, oh, is it me? Is it me? And then he just fires off, and he's and he's obviously really intelligent and going through the, the touchscreen or whatever. And I'm just, you know, getting an absolute kick out of the whole thing. So... 
on a night when there were absolutely no sports, but we could bet on a bunch of stuff. And God knows it came down to a lot of different stuff here uh, where, listen, we're probably going to make just a tiny amount of money here with a Biden victory, which again, seems like where this is headed. Um, you know, okay, we had a good night. Like, like, it was like, that was fun. Let's just move on. And we get to do so here because we're going to take a quick break and then it's going to be the NFL. We're going to, you know, push that back from Tuesday. Um, probably rightly so, given COVID stuff that's popping up. Uh, and we're going to talk a little Maction. What? Yeah, Maction is back. Shun. All right, more bets to discuss here in a second, but a quick break to talk about our friends over at Hundo P Productions. If you're like me and you rely at all on social media to get the word out about your product or service, you should check out www.hundopproductions.com. They hooked me up with some fun tease videos from my podcast with Chad Millman over the summer. You can check those out on my Twitter page, at MRussAuthentic. If you are looking for help growing your brand in a fun, engaging way, check them out on on Instagram at Hundo P Prod. Don't just post, inspire. All right, let's get into the NFL week number nine. And is it going to start on Thursday? God, doesn't really feel like it now, does it? Uh, uh, obviously, COVID stuff. What else is, you know, what else could it be? Um, has hit both the Green Bay Packers and, of course, San Francisco now as well, where they're now closing their facility. So this feels like, and, you know, as of, you know, this afternoon here on Wednesday, it feels like this game is not going to go. It feels like this game is, I don't know, I would put it next Tuesday, for example, right? So instead of the, thir the, sh the Thursday night short week going in, it becomes a Tuesday night short week going out for these two teams. Now, is that going to necessarily affect anything for San Francisco? They're big guys. Garoppolo out, Kittle out. And the interesting thing with this line is that, you know, it's about a pick 'em game as of last week. Obviously, tons of things have changed here. We always ask, what's changed if the line has changed? And in this case, lots has changed. San Francisco's without their quarterback, for example. And so the line reopens two and a half, then five and a half after this injury stuff comes out. And, you know, you're looking at it going like... In theory, that doesn't seem like a big enough move, and that would make you think that Green Bay is going to take a lot of money, even without their sort of running back uh, committee potentially able to go, right? Aaron Rodgers, people love betting on Aaron Rodgers, even if they, you know, he, not necessarily he, but even if the Packers burned them last week. And so... I wouldn't mind grabbing San Francisco at plus seven if that ended up being the situation uh, where money drove this up to be, you know, a seven point spread. We have to see whether that, of course, is going to be the case and whether that, you know, all of the things that need to happen for this game to get played this week. Um, but again, just worth mentioning uh, in case it actually is a game that ends up going on Thursday, which we'll be on top of tomorrow uh, during the podcast. As for the stuff that does have lines, and again, took us a little longer to get some of these because of COVID issues, uh, one of which was the Marlon Humphrey situation with the Baltimore Ravens, uh, that we do have a line now. The line has fallen off of three down to two and a half. And, you know, long way to go before we sort of, you know, come up with a play here for this game. Because, again, you don't want to bet against the Colts with Darius Leonard. He's one of our swing guys, right? He's one of the guys who matters to us 
more than the point spread generally indicates when he's playing. So this number at two and a half feels on the surface like a buy low opportunity for the Ravens. Um, is it down to three because of the COVID stuff? Is it down to three because they lost to the Steelers? Or is it down from three because of Ronnie Stanley's injury, right? And how much is that going to hurt the Ravens? Long term, I think that's a big issue. Shorter term, maybe not, right? So we have to dig into whether the Colts, from a run defense standpoint, are going to be able to take advantage of that loss and hold the Ravens to a decent yardage. Because if they're, you know, the yardage ends up being 400 for the Ravens, I'm going to bet the Ravens. Now, of course, we don't get to know that information before the game starts, but, you know, it's not like I'm downgrading the Ravens on that game last week against the Steelers, right? It was Lamar Jackson screwing it up for them, right? And as much as you sort of hate to say it as, as a guy, you know, who won the MVP last year, right? But that game was on him. Carolina and the Kansas City Chiefs, 10 and a half, was 12 and a half. Uh, maybe before people sort of figured out that Christian McCaffrey probably back for the Panthers. Uh, and even then, not a huge move because for one, uh, two point move over the number of 10 and a half, you know, from 12 and a half to 10 and a half, not exactly a drastic move. Uh, and two, we've seen the Panthers play pretty well offensively without McCaffrey. Now, is that one of these situations where if it were a backup quarterback, he comes in for two or three games and you're going, oh yeah, like this backup quarterback, like he could be a starter in the league. And then he plays two or three more games, like a Nick Mullins situation. You go, oh wait, no, he's not good. He's not consistent. And that's the difference between a starting quarterback and, you know, a backup quarterback. In this case for a running back, you know, people get all excited like Mike Davis, you know, blah, blah, blah. Few weeks later, it's like okay, bloom a little bit off the rose potentially, and now maybe Christian McCaffrey comes back, and we all sit there and we go, oh wait, he is really good. <laughs> like he is, yeah, they did miss him. You know, like they might have beaten the Falcons if they had him or something along those lines, right? So I actually like the Panthers here plus a ton of points. Will it be just the ten and a half? Will it fall down to 10, 11? I'm willing to sort of see if we can end up getting eleven with the Panthers in this one. Speaking of games where I like the underdog and want another half point, uh, seems to be a bit of a theme here, but the Chicago Bears, plus five and a half right now, was six, missed out on that move down to five and a half. I think it probably actually drops lower, to be completely honest, just based on the fact that Tennessee's defense just isn't capable of stopping anyone right now. And as much as the Bears' offense isn't exactly confidence-laden right now with Nick Foles, and who knows, maybe by the time Sunday rolls around, we're going to get some Mitch Trubisky, and he he might use his legs to get a first down or two that Nick Foles had no chance to get. Who knows, right? All I know is he was 3-0 as a starter, even though it was pretty ugly. It's not any less ugly with Nick Foles. So um, definitely lean to the Bears here, barring some sort of issue that happens over the next couple of days. But again, we'll talk about that more on Friday. Denver and the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons, four-point favorites, down to three-and-a-half-point favorites. A move I agree with, right? Denver... Um, Listen, I don't love this team. I don't love Drew Locke. I do think, though, that it might be better for this team to go on the road. I do think they may be even pretty good offensively when allowed to play indoors, right? Just because Drew Locke plays for the Denver Broncos doesn't mean he likes being outdoors. Sure, maybe they asked him in an interview and he said, I played at Missouri. It rained a lot. And the interview was like, okay, great, right? Like Josh Allen, I don't think he's any good outdoors in the weather. 
just because he's the Bills quarterback doesn't mean he's in the right spot, right? Like he probably would be a lot better if he played in a dome. Most guys are. And so I think that might be the case for the Broncos offense. And if that is the case, I think one, 50 is too low from a total standpoint. And two, I think they're live to win the game against a Falcons defense that I don't think all that much of, right? Will the offense have Calvin Ridley, right? Obviously, that's a big issue and maybe one of the reasons why this number has kind of ticked down a half point. I think Denver potentially live to win the game and we might be including them in the old money line parlay bucket. Uh, Detroit and Minnesota Vikings. Um, Vikings minus four right now. I'm willing to sort of see where this number goes because I want to do uh, a little more digging here. One, do I want to bet on the Lions if Kenny Galladay's not playing? Not particularly, right? He, like Darius Leonard, on the defensive side for the Colts, is our swing guy, where if he's not in the lineup, we think that the offense isn't just, you know, it's not just a point, point and a half, two points, because he's not in there. I think the number changes a great deal when he's not in there, because I think the offense is probably a touchdown worse, right? That has to matter if when they put that graph up, right? Graphic up when, oh, he plays, the offense scores 26.2 points. And when he doesn't play, the offense scores 19.3 points. Like that matters. Maybe not in full, small sample size, all of that kind of thing, but it's gotta be more than the half point, one and a half points that sort of indicative of, you know, when he misses a game, right? so small lean to the Vikings there, but I'm willing to sort of see where this number goes. I could see people betting the Lions because they're not necessarily sold on the Vikings who won a game last week by completing 10 passes. You know, can the Lions defense stop the run game of the Vikings and then what's left, right? Like that's the digging that we need to do here to be confident in backing the Vikings. And at this point in the season, it gets more and more difficult to bet on any favorites at any sort of big time number. And I'm certainly not doing it in this next game. Houston Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. I love the Jags plus seven. And it's gross. I know, it's the Jags. Why would I love that? Jake Luton... Jake Luton is, strangely enough, one of my favorite college quarterbacks to back, to bet on as an underdog with Oregon State the last couple of years. He would just get stuff done just enough in a way, whether it was backdoor touchdowns, whether it was just keeping games close, he would get just enough done against basically every team in the Pac-12 that was better than Oregon State, which was basically every team. It's not the same thing as as your boy the Nooch, right? Danucci was a guy who played like four games for a bad pit operation and got spit out through the bottom of the FBS into the FCS and then was, I guess, pretty good at James Madison. This is a guy who at least played Pac-12 competition, right? This is essentially the same competition that Gardner Minshew played every year, right? Like Washington State and Oregon State. Like these two guys are in the same quarterback room and they played against each other. Very easy for the Jags to just throw Sean Glennon in as a guy who is is a quote-unquote veteran who has started games in the NFL, mainly to, you know, disgust (laughs) in a lot of cases. But it would be very easy to just go with him. So for me, I'm thinking here that with the bye week, you know, full reps for Luton, not a situation where you're sort of wondering if Andy Dalton, for example, can play. It's his quote-unquote team this week, and he can come in. And listen, Gardner Minshew, as a rookie last year, came in and was capable. I think Jake Luton can be capable as well. And I tell you this, if Jake Luton was on the Dallas Cowboys, he would have maybe not won the game last week, but he would have covered the spread last week against the Eagles. And he would be playing again this week, unlike Danuch, who's getting the boots. Um... 
Giants and the Washington football team here. This one's pretty simple. One, I think Washington's just the better football team, and I think it's a terrible spot for the Giants coming off of that sort of big effort that they almost had on Monday night. Um, But from a point spread standpoint, this line at minus three. And if you'll recall, this matchup a couple of weeks ago was Washington at the Giants, and we sat here and we were like, we can get plus three with Washington. Let's just take that. Like, why are the Giants favored by minus three? Uh, against anybody if we could get that same sort of energy going from the community and we could drop the Giants you know drop that number down to two and a half in favor of the Giants like we could get Washington minus two minus two and a half that would be fantastic it just doesn't seem like that's necessarily going to happen we're already at Wednesday and it hasn't happened yet I like this Washington team a ton going forward I don't love them as a favorite of course right like that's a different bar to hop over we rather play them as sort of 10 point underdogs like a defense that can keep an offense in check all of that kind of stuff that being said right daniel jones turnovers that kind of stuff washington can take advantage of that type of thing um and after that first quarter in their last meeting the giants basically didn't move the ball against the wft so we're gonna wait we're gonna hope we can get two and a half i can't imagine this going to three and a half so i think we're just waiting um, to see if some site at some point sort of ticks off of three here. And again, maybe it's one of these deals where people fall in love with the Giants and it ticks all the way down to like a minus one and we get some sort of mega bargain on Washington. But I think week off, Kyle Allen, you know, firmly entrenched now with a win as the starting quarterback. And again, the defense even, you know, getting better than we even thought they were going to be at the start of the year when they beat the Eagles, tormenting Carson Wentz. Uh, Seahawks and the Bills here. Um, In this case, let's get this number up to three. I like the Bills here potentially at plus three, right? This is that spot where if the weather is okay, as we mentioned, Josh Allen, not exactly a fan of the outdoors and it's inclemency. Um, Let's see if we can get plus three here. I think we will be able to because people love betting the Seahawks for some reason, not last week. Still don't really understand that. Um, But offensively, Buffalo can move the ball against the Seahawks defense. And this is a tough spot, cross country trip. And you listen, you'll get all all kinds of stats about the Seahawks covering on the road, Eastern time zone, all of that good Russell Wilson type stuff and all of that is legitimate but two straight nfc west games here right one that they had one that they lost in overtime the next one that they showed up pretty well against san francisco so this feels like a sell high here for seattle and as much as the bills won last week again i don't know that they were all that impressive tough matchup against a patriots team that it was sort of like you just want to exercise those demons offensively you know crappy weather type situation as well i think the weather's supposed to be better we're obviously going to check on that before we make a bet on you know before friday and i just think we can get three here and i like the bills potentially to sort of get a sort of signature win against a pretty good team right like they beat the rams same sort of deal right i don't know that there's all that much different from an efficiency standpoint anyway between the seahawks and rams obviously they do it a bit of a different way um but from an offensive standpoint right like they're still both pretty good offenses going into buffalo here in a game that i think is a shootout and that's indicated by the 55 uh, as the total uh raiders and the chargers and if you thought like in the jags was kind of gross Love the Chargers in this one at minus one. Minus one seems insane to me. Minus 115 on the money line. Might as well just hit that instead. Um, Listen, could the Chargers blow this game? Sure. But it's the same sort of song that we've been singing about the Falcons, where it's like, listen, they're getting the leads. And in this case, the Chargers get good 
you know, leads against good teams. Whereas the Falcons don't. They get leads against crappy teams and still blow it. Like at least the Chargers are facing decent teams. In this, you know, last week notwithstanding with the Broncos. But if they had, say they had closed out the Broncos, say they had not had the Hunter Henry blocking uh, penalty and they had punched in a touchdown to go up 10 and it was never an issue, right? Like what would this line be? This line has to be at least three. So we're getting all kinds of value here on the Chargers on a Raiders team that has not shown any bit of consistency at any point in time this season, right? Up one week, down one week, getting a lot of wins where they're not necessarily the better team. And that win last week in that junk weather in Cleveland didn't exactly have me going like, yeah, this is a team to beat here with the Raiders. So I love the Chargers as basically a coin flip in this game. I think they win this game at least 60 to 65% of the time. Dolphins and the Cardinals. It's our Dolphins, right? Five-point underdogs at the Cardinals here, who I think are a little bit high on their horse, right? You don't want to go into the bye week when you're feeling really good about yourself, right? You want to carry that into the next week, right? Like that momentum is sort of as you know false as that kind of concept is. You you don't want to be riding high going into your bye week, right? Because it's only going to lead to a letdown, especially when the market is making you a five-point favorite against a team that, frankly, I don't know is that much worse than the Cardinals here, right? Like, this feels like a line that should be three, three and a half, and I think by game time probably will be closer to three and a half. So we'll want to grab the Dolphins here at plus five. There's no way this goes to plus six. I'll be stunned if that ends up being the case here. You know, obviously without some sort of injury. And you have to remind yourself, right? When we're talking about the Dolphins, one, what do we know about Tua? Not enough yet. And two, if he gets injured, right? What if Kyler Murray gets injured? Cardinals are screwed. If Tua gets injured, the Dolphins are going to be just fine with Fitzpatrick. And that's an added element to some of these bets, especially when we're getting five points. Steelers and the Cowboys, what do you want me to do here, right? Minus 14, that's about right. Like, I'd contemplate the Cowboys at plus 14 if you told me that Cooper Rush was going to start, because at least he's been the backup in Dallas for a couple of years, not essentially a guy on off the street in the way that, like, you know, Gilbert or Danucci or, like, just whomever these guys are sort of rolling up with. Um, do I want anything to do with the Steelers after a massive win? And, listen, we talked about the spot last week for the Steelers. And just because they won that game doesn't make this sort of rolling spot issue, you know, where we're talking Eagles, uh, revenge game against the Browns. Uh, totally forgot what the other game was. Uh, and then Baltimore, <laughs> or sorry, Tennessee, right? The undefeated game against Tennessee. Like over and over and over again. Now it's just the, oh, it's the Cowboys. We can show up, you know, throw the ball a little bit and then win. Now I don't think the Cowboys are going to win this game. So this isn't like an upset alert type of situation, right? There's plenty of other teams where we might be sort of feeling that way when it comes to the Steelers. But at a 14 point spread here, no thanks, um, I'll pass. This feels like a survivor pick and ignore the game entirely. Four o'clock start, you know, 425 start, so hard to ignore it, but this will definitely be getting third television consideration, essentially. Uh, Saints and the Buccaneers, lots more to break down with regards to this, right? We've got a five-point spread here, nothing that I'm looking to jump out at 
this is sort of the first week I felt like the Saints weren't overvalued by a point, point and a half in the market, which is sort of why we were on them against the Bears last week worked out, why we were on them against Carolina the week before that worked out, and a handful of other times throughout the rest of the year. So um, we'll get that into that more detail once we sort of figure out, like, I'm assuming Thomas is coming back to play, uh, assuming Sanders is coming back, that's going to be critical. Um, you know, Tampa Bay didn't look all that good on Monday, but we didn't expect them to. So I'm not going to downgrade them for doing something that I expected them to do. In fact, I was impressed that they came back and won, even though they got every single call imaginable um, from the referees. Uh, Patriots and the Jets, same sort of deal. This is probably a save it for Monday type of a game. Patriots have lost all survivor selection privileges at this point. They've also lost betting on them as seven point road favorites privileges. Uh, why would you, you know you want to bet on the Patriots at minus seven against any sort of football team? Um, but are the Jets a football team? Are they really a professional football team? So um, not exactly tripping over myself to bet the Jets at this point. You know, by Monday rolling around, maybe you'll find me going like plus seven's pretty good, and maybe a sprinkle on the money line. Like maybe this is the game the Jets win, right? Because this is a not very good Patriots team. Like it is officially over for their season. And if they know that, which I assume they do, it's going to be there could be a live underdog situation, except the Jets just never score points, which of course makes that awfully difficult um, for them. So that's the story with regards to the NFL. We'll talk more about that Friday. Hopefully, though it doesn't seem likely, that we'll have a Thursday night game to talk about tomorrow. If not, we'll just kind of stare at each other for a while. Um, no, of course, we've got college football to talk about tomorrow, but we've got college football to talk about today. And that means Maction. Yeah, it's back. For those who don't know, the Mac, the mid American Conference in college football returns this week and in their rightful place with midweek college football. All 12 teams go tonight. Do I have some plays? I have a few. I have some leans. I have one that I really like. Uh, let's start off here. Do it real quick and get you on your way. Eastern Michigan and Kent State. Kent State minus four, the favorite. That's understandable. They had a ton of momentum last season. Like basically won their like last six games, some in some crazy dramatic fashion. Got into a bowl game, won the bowl game. Does that translate to a full like 11 months later? Man, it's hard to imagine that it does. That being said, a lot of their guys are back, especially especially the quarterback. Uh, I will lean Kent State minus four. Whether I make that an official bet, you'll have to sort of follow along on Twitter or on the uh, Action Network sports app that uh, that I track a lot of the college football stuff on. Western Michigan, 20 and a half point favorites on the road to Akron. If this got to 21, you could talk me into Akron just based on the pandemic you know, first game of the season, anything can happen type of a deal. And I don't think Akron wins the game. Frankly, they were one of two or three of the worst teams in the entire uh, nation last year. And I believe they covered their final game as massive underdogs. And that was the first cover that they had all season long. So not a team that the market loves betting on, if you just recall from last season. That being said, maybe we're getting some extra points just based on that. But I'm not going to even think about it until we hit 21. Uh, Ball State and Miami of Ohio, this is the game I like the most. Give me Ball State on the road. This is a now sort of veteran-ish team that I think could win the conference just because it's a road game. Doesn't scare me off here. Ball State minus 110 on the money line worth a roll for me. Buffalo and Northern Illinois, 
filing a little bit under the category of we don't really know what we're going to get from these two teams. We're getting 14 points with Northern Illinois. So certainly a very Kent State type of a lean here, right? So if you're going to bet one game in this group, I'd bet Ball State. If you wanted to go to second level and get a handful of others, I would throw Northern Illinois into that mix. Uh, another game that I'd throw into the mix, Central Michigan plus three at home against Ohio. I'll just take the three points against two teams that I think are probably pretty similar. Maybe one stinks a lot more than the other does. Maybe one's a lot better than the other one is. I don't know, right? That's the point. We don't really know. So plus three with the home dog is, again, I'll throw that into sort of this pool of Buffalo, Northern Illinois, and even a Western Michigan Akron if it goes to 21, and Kent State minus four. All of those are sort of second level. If you want action on every single game tonight, if you really want to experience action, that's maybe what I would do. Bowling Green, finally, and Toledo. This one, stay away or just take Toledo and hope they absolutely lap Bowling Green, which is very, very much in play here. Um, Again, not a big play, might not even reach this sort of second tier type of thing that you might want to do tonight. Um, but again, I can't recommend a bet on Bowling Green against a Toledo team that year in and year out is the best team in the MAC. So kind of a fun change of pace here as we get into some college football early this week. Back again tomorrow to talk Thursday night football, maybe. Um, but moreover, maybe it's just a deeper dive potentially into the college football slate the rest of the week because we do have games Thursday. We have an outstanding matchup on Friday night. And then Saturday is a really, really good slate in college football. So, you know, a lot of times if you sort of parachute in late with regards to college football, it's never a bad idea to show up the first week of November and be like, all right, what's going on? Because it's usually pretty fun. And this season, even with the pandemic, is no different. Even if some teams are only playing one game, or at least, excuse me, their first game. That's all we've got for you today. Subscribe, rate, and review. I know it's a thing you hear on everybody's podcast, but it really does help. So please do that. Until next time, I'll see you at the window.